Welcome to season four of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your service, family, and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to take this opportunity to invest in you. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast in season four. Today's episode has Matt joining me. A lot of people have asked to have Matt more often on the podcast, and he's been super busy with his job and hasn't been able to join me as much as he has in the past. So I'm thrilled to bring him into today's episode. But I wanted to really quickly tell you that if you have not seen Avengers Endgame, there's a couple spoilers in our conversation today, and I wanted to give you fans out there an opportunity to know that ahead of time. I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Matt, my husband, as we talk about parenting from a strengths perspective, marriage from a strengths perspective, especially as it relates to a service-related marriage and how the personalities and the lifestyle can really bring conflict into your marriage and how you can maybe see your spouse with new eyes. And so I hope you'll enjoy our conversation and thanks again for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I have a surprise person with me today. Um, I have my amazing husband, Matt Weathers. So many of you have asked for him to join me on occasion for the podcast. And thankfully, we're getting ready to PCS. And he happens to be, he's <laughs> being silly. Um, he happens to be a little bit more available than he's been in the past. So, we are sitting down and having coffee and welcoming you into our home. And we're going to talk a little bit about marriage and talking about um, the dynamics of service-related marriage specifically and the personalities that um, tend to come into a service marriage. And we had an opportunity to talk at the Military Spouse of the Year Award actually it was the town hall where we had literally 30 minutes to address this topic. And those of you who are listening probably know I can't do anything in 30 minutes or less, especially not a podcast. So we're going to expand on that today. So welcome back, hon. It's good to be here. But when you say what we need to welcome them to our home, I feel like we should do an episode of like MTV Cribs. No, especially so. <laughs> especially right now when we're getting ready for getting ready for a PCS. Yeah, this is my stack of Ziploc bags and soon everything... <laughs> We'll move. We're about to make the, uh, what, sixth move in eight years. Yeah, so that's, I'm uh, tired. that's substantial. Um, <laughs> I didn't think about that until yesterday. And uh, I uh, I guess I probably should collect all my out-processing paperwork to, to show the Army that I'm, I'm good to go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown-up boy, and I can move on to the next thing. <laughs> so if we're a little bit delirious today, um, we are... Surviving on caffeine and uh, trying to get through the next move. So maybe you guys need some tips on PCS tips, but that's not today. Yeah, it's not today. We're going to talk about marriage. So a lot of um, I get a lot of questions as as I work with couples on Strength Finder and approaching your marriage from a strengths based perspective which is one of my loves. I, I really feel like it's a great way to work on your marriage is to approach it from a strengths-based perspective, mm-hmm. whether you do the strength finder assessment or not. Um, but I get a lot of questions asking about how service members um, are habitually trained, I think because of the military or first responders habitually trained to be hypervigilant and to be um, more calculated and disciplined in their approach. Um, and you know, we tend to marry our opposites. So typically, stereotypically, we have a lot of spouses 
that are more of the empathic, warm um, uh, types of, of personalities. And those mm -hmm. two can clash, yeah. um, especially when you're dealing with conflict and trying to resolve problems that come up in different approaches. And so I thought what we could talk about today is... Um, how do you work with these differing dynamics? And it's a kind of a nature versus nurture debate on whether or not it's the mil the service lifestyle that um, that kind of creates that personality, I guess, of being that kind of disciplined, calculated, lo logical side to a service member. Um, I don't really know. So I thought what we could do is just kind of talk about that. What do you see? with the couples that you get a chance to work with, or maybe with the service members that you get to work with on, do you feel like it is something that's habitually trained in a person over time on how they approach the world and relationships? Well, um, I, I wanna get to that, but one of the things that came up in my mind when you were talking was that, I wanna make sure I'm loud enough, at those little green lines on your screen. <laughs> am, I, am I loud enough? Testing one too? Well, I mean, you're not gonna give me feedback because it's already recorded. <laughs> But um, where do we get this falsehood of an ideal uh, in the sense of what is a, what are either one of the people in a relationship supposed to be or reflect? I mean, if we're going to talk about, what, well, we want them to be more feeling or we're, we're tired of them being so logical, wh why is that? Wh what sets the standard for what a, and I specifically I'll talk from a male perspective, from a husband perspective, what sets the standard for whether or not a husband is, you know, empathic enough, feeling enough? I mean, where do we get that, and and why do we have that? Why do we? Why is it? Why are we falling in love with that rather than there being this? Oh well, up until I don't know the last thirty years, by and large, um, men took pride in being like a, a provider, a hunter. They took pride in taking care of things. Um, and they just, I think they just tend to be made that way. Research supports that. So, no, I, I, I agree. I kind of wonder why are we, first and foremost, why is that not the ideal? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree because um, I, I think in marriage, it's very easy for any couple to get to a place where, you know, you. You date and you tend to be attracted to your opposite because there's something in them that kind of, you know, Jerry Maguire completes them, uh, completes you. And and that's great in the beginning. And then you kind of do life together for a little while. And, and then after a while, those um, differences start to clash. And then I think a lot of couples get to a place where they're like, okay, now that's bothering me. Mm -hmm. Now what used to be attractive to me and really awesome because it was something that I didn't do or didn't see the world that way. Mm -hmm. Then you get to this place where it's like, okay, now it's annoying, yeah. you know? And so now I want you to bend and shape to what so I want you to the be. The question is, why is it annoying? Why Great does it question. annoy somebody? Why do you, I, I would contend that it annoys somebody because it becomes inconvenient and yeah. because people have to start working. People love a new job up until, oh yeah, clean up on aisle five. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Somebody just dropped a jar of pickle juice and all the protein powder. So go have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, oh, man, you know, I, I went from being a cashier and a people person and doing what I love to do. Oh, there's this other part of my job that I have to. And every job has it and every relationship has it. Every marriage has it. You're not going to love every aspect of marriage. There's the, for instance, 
early on in our marriage, and probably even this morning as I was making my uh, green shake, um, my wife is, she sits down with her planner and she wants to schedule things out and she's responsibility based. And if there is an unexpected expense that comes up, it's time to talk about it at that moment. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm just trying to get through my green drink and just enjoy <laughs> a little bit of a pause in the day. And she starts going, we need to plan for X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. Hey, early on in our relationship, we knew that um, we would have to set like family business minutes. That's not something they show you in a romantic comedy. That's mm -hmm. not something they talk to you about, honestly, in premarital counseling. Where they go, you know what? A good portion of your life is going to be spent deconflicting calendars. Mm -hmm. Nobody would sign up for that. Nobody would be like, you know what? I can't wait to deconflict calendars. And I want to be intimately involved with the person with whom I deconflict my calendar. Um, so, you know, there are, there are plenty of aspects that are um, not what you sign up for, but you still have to kind of accept it and go, okay, well, that's, that's part and parcel. And then... Kind of realize what needs to change in me in the process of accepting this and growing through this. So, for instance, I'm not a really responsible person. I love ideas. I love planning things. See, you are very responsible. I, well, I've had to be because I've been around you. I mean, where I'm like, crap, if I don't do this, she's really, you know, I know that I'm boxing above my weight. So I need to keep up my fitness. I have had to learn how to do that. And by doing that, I actually have had to learn how to appreciate it. So by appreciating that's who she is, that that speaks her love language when I do that, then it makes more room for, for other aspects of her life. So for instance, because um, this came up when I was thinking, when you were talking about the differences. So yesterday, I took great pride in deconflicting all of the things, all the little out-processing stations that I have to go hit when I leave a post. And I sit down with when they're available, I sit down with where they are, I sit down with how long it's gonna take me, and I create, I'm gonna out-process in a day. I'm gonna make this happen. I have my plan. And then I execute the plan. Maybe somebody else is thinking about how does this feel to out-process and how does this feel to be leaving a duty station and how might it affect the person that I'm going to walk in there and go, hey, I know I'm ahead of a schedule, but let's get this going. I need a signature and got to leave. I'm only concerned with making it happen. I'm not concerned with anybody's feelings in the process. I'm not concerned with how I feel. You know how I feel? I'll feel great being done in a day. That's it. <laughs> that's the only feeling I'm thinking about. And that's just, it's logical. It is straightforward. And it gives me peace and great joy to see a way through the clutter. But that's specifically me. So you were talking about being strengths-based in your marriage. Mm -hmm. So how have you seen that really improve when two people appreciate those strengths? Right. And so I think the problem is, is that in marriage, you get to this place where you're like, okay, now we're starting to conflict in the way that we handle things, the way that we make decisions, the way that we parent, the way that we do finances, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then when there's that, those different approaches, then it's like, well, I want you to change because I'm most comfortable in the way that I handle things. And so if you could just do me a favor to just change you, yeah. then this will get better. And yeah. so for me, for coming at it from a strengths-based perspective, what I've seen in our marriage when we have started seeing things from a strengths-based place and also when I see it other couples is when you can take a step back and say, you know, it's it's not that the other person in the way they do things is wrong. Yeah. It's that they have a, an approach that works for them that's 
um, easy and quick and can also make sense in different in different settings and different circumstances and that my approach isn't the only way and that if I can change that my perspective to go you know your way might be good too mm-hmm. and that just because you don't care about that person's feelings in that circumstance doesn't mean that you're a cold calculated person mm-hmm. That your approach of strategically getting through your to-do list your way um, is valuable. Mm -hmm. And that when I can change my perspective and see that you're bringing the best version of yourself, or at least you're trying to, um, that's number one. When I can say, my spouse is for me, not against me, and Mm -hmm. they're trying to bring their best talents to Mm -hmm. the table, and so am I, then we can like put that on, on the table when we have to work together and go... Both of them are good. Mm-hmm. It's really a matter of either which one is best for this situation where one needs to lean on the other, or do we combine efforts mm-hmm. um, and work together? And so sometimes your way is the best way for the situation, and sometimes mm-hmm. you lean on me when mm-hmm. it's being more empathic towards the boys and thinking about like you know how are they feeling about the matter. It doesn't oh. mean that you can't sense that at all. Right. It just means I might sense it first, mm-hmm. or that I place a lot of value on mm-hmm. that. But now that I can see that you have the strength for being strategic and the strengths for um, logically thinking through the timeline mm-hmm. of events or decision making or that sort of thing, it's also good. Yeah. It's also helpful. And it's more of a matter of sometimes taking turns or um, being willing to sometimes sacrifice our way or our perspective in order to see that the other person is bringing value to the table too. Yeah. So you brought up a good thing. I think one of the most evident ways that this kind of fleshes itself out for relationships is in parenting. And so specifically we've got two boys. And so having, you know, for 41, almost 42 years, congratulations to me, um, (laughs) been a boy, been a man, um, and experience life as a man uh i I may not have that like gut level intuitive empathy but i can quickly easily identify oh this is a this is a a male situation that i have been in this is what it felt like to go through and with some empathy can go in there and go that you've taught me can go hey this is what i experienced growing up is that what's going on with you right now and for them to go, yeah, that is what's going on. Great. So I lean on both my logical side of looking back and going, that that's what's happened. And all the empathy side of that may not mean that's exactly what's going on in this situation, but I at least want to volunteer myself to say, I think this is what's going on. I don't have to feel it immediately, but um, it's a combination of both. And there's plenty of times where, honestly, you know, you are trying to be over empathic with the boys. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is just a thing. And they just got to push through. And it's not that I'm trying to make them less feeling, less compassionate, less emotional. I'm really trying to make them prepared for the world, which is like, hey, this is a thing. You're going to have to do this. And it sucks. We all, you know, we don't like it. But, you know, your feelings at this point don't matter. And what you'll realize in about, you know, 10 years, no one cares about your feelings. Um, whether it's on social media or in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that's that's sad, um, but that's a fact. And so sometimes it's going, those, I can make you so, I can teach you to be so empathic that it may become a detriment to you. So this is an interesting topic that comes yeah. up a lot for Sorry, this our may service. have just like whirled no, 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 off. No, no, it's exactly where I wanted to go. Okay, because, good. I'm uh, glad you... <laughs> 
glad I'm glad you're <laughs> glad driving. You showed up for me. <laughs> I'm glad you're driving the train. No, this comes up a lot, I think, for service couples. And this is going to sound stereotypical, but for a lot of service couples, um, there is the actually for a lot of service spouses, <clears throat> supporting spouses. Yeah. I hear the question of, you know, did the service lifestyle make him this way? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's going back to that nature versus nurture thing. And this is my this is my opinion on that. I think that number one. Um, yes, life and circumstances can impact a person and influence them and teach them skills and teach them perspectives of ways of seeing the world and seeing the tasks in front of them. So some of that is definitely nurture. Um, and so, and I've seen over the years, you know, the past 12, 15 years that you've been in the military that, um, that, that it's not that you have changed, but that you have been taught and shaped on how to handle mm-hmm. tasks and see the world. But what I also see is and think is that there are certain kinds of personalities that are drawn to the service lifestyle. Yep. Those that are very deeply based in values and right and wrong, black, white. I see that a lot in the first responder culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of discipline and um, also values based in the military side of things. Um, in our special niche groups, yep. I see a lot of competition and mm-hmm. and wanting to be excellent and being part of big things that matter. So I think that there is a, a pull of certain personalities towards this lifestyle. And so I think it's unfair when I see spouses that go, you know, he's he's changed unless it's a, because of an incident mm-hmm. or there's some kind of diagnosis that's happened or, right. or trauma. Um, I think it's unfair if we kind of take trauma off the table here. Um, being impacted by a certain event, but more so just looking at the lifestyle. I think it's unfair to say to a person, you know, the military changed you and now you're this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings me to the topic that I really want to talk with you about. And we've been heading there this whole time, which All is, right. you know, service members and first responders who are asked to do especially very difficult things, right. like especially taking a life. Mm-hmm. Um are are taught that skill, but they do have to suppress or remove their thinking about how I feel about it or what my um, thinking is of how that's going to affect that life or that family's life in order mm-hmm. to do certain tasks, in order to do their job. Right. And so I think that's something I hear a lot of couples wrestling with, a lot of spouses wrestling with, which is not what the spouse thinks about what that what their spouse had to do. Mm-hmm. It's not about that because I think there's a lot of understanding and, and acceptance in that. This is their job. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that there is this wrestling with, well, yes, he has to go and be that sniper. Yes, he has to go and be able to be willing to take a life. And I'm no, I know I'm using stereotypes with he and she and all that, but right. they have to go and take that life. But then why can't they come home and suddenly be empathic and warm and feelings oriented and all of that? Because that's where maybe the wife is at. Right. And so I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of couples about trying to create understanding from a strengths-based perspective mm-hmm. on So simply, simply put, feelings can be immobilizing. Mm-hmm. Feelings can be crippling. So... I want to back this up. This is my thoughts, not the thoughts of the Department of Defense or any researchers out there. Just my experience, having grown up as the son and grandson of police officers and then spending more than a decade in the military. Um, And a lot of the reading that I've done to include uh, Dave Grossman uh, on killing 
Uh, number one, I, I think very few people <clears throat> that, that last in law enforcement and specifically first responders, specifically in that niche, law enforcement, and in the military, specifically combat arms, I think mm-hmm. very few people in those two professions would say that they chose the job that it didn't choose them. In the sense of they're the cavemen that survived. And I'm using cavemen, uh, but it can also be cave women, but historically cavemen, we'll just say that. Um, but they're the cave person that survived. They were the one that was on hypervigilant, watching out for the saber-toothed tiger, protecting the tribe. Mm-hmm. And if you look throughout history and human geography, which I didn't even know was a term until this year, but human geography. <laughs> With a teenage son. Almost Every civilization has had a warrior caste, has had a group of people that, uh, that that's their job is to protect from bad people, mm-hmm. from other people that have a separate agenda that they want to impose something on that tribe. I mean, it's, it goes back to the basics of two, two people trying to club one another just to try and get the upper hand. And that's still happening in places today. People are still beating one another with sticks. It's going to go on for as long as the earth is here and there are people that go i have morals but i also have the same capacity as that immoral person to take a life and because of my morals and i have the capacity to take a life and not feel too bad about it because i realize that i have to protect people then i should probably use that i should probably move into that they're the kind of person that if i said here i need you to go work in this cubicle and slave away on that computer and crunch numbers could they do that? Maybe. Is it going to be mind-numbing for them? Absolutely. Because in their heart and in their mind, they see injustice. And they have a feeling of righteous indignation whenever they feel that. And it feels powerless to not do something Excuse me, to not do something about it. Um, so what they do is really fleshing out who they are. It's an opportunity for them to be involved, to be on mission, to be making an impact in the world and changing things. I remember a conversation that I had with um, a very close friend from from college, love him to death, but we were talking about Afghanistan and our involvement there. And I said, hey, all we're doing there as combat arms is to try and secure. We are trying to secure and hold so that somebody can come behind us and build. That's our job. But you can't come over here and build if it's not secure and we're not holding this area. That's our job. That's what we see as our mission. And I know having, you know, my father is a retired police officer. That was his mission. His mission was was to make sure everybody obeyed the law and everybody felt safe. And I watched him do that and treat people fairly and equitably the entire time. And I watched how angry he was at people who put themselves above everybody else because they wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. And it was, you know, whether it was a car speeding down the road and he's not just sitting there trying to catch a bad guy. Every person that that speeding motorist passes, is it right that I'm wrong? Every person that speeding motorist passes is another life that could be ending. Mm-hmm. It's another mom or husband or dad or father or brother or sister or son or daughter. So do you really honestly expect that police officer to stop thinking about his wife at home, 
or her husband at home or her wife or his husband, however you want to paint this picture, mm -hmm. their kids, their mom, their dad, the school bus, all the people that are just going about their day, do you honestly just expect them to just set it all aside and try and focus on, you know, I'm just going to try and help this person, you know, realize the error of their ways. Mm -hmm. How many bodies does a cop have to pick up or put back together or cover with multiple white sheets because they're in various forms of disarray before, before you expect them to not be normal anymore. I mean, what's the number? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I tell people the reason I'm a, a chaplain, I came home one day and my dad was laying on the bed and he was the biggest, strongest guy and still is that I ever met. And he was laying on the bed and he looked out the window and he said, I just get tired of seeing dead babies. And he had crossed a bridge that day and there was a box over on the side and inside was a fetus that somebody didn't want and, and had discarded. And he would tell me stories and I was growing up as a teenager and back then I was like, whoa, that's pretty intense for a teenager. But now I realize it was God allowing his experiences to shape me and what, I, what he wanted me to be, the fullness of who I am, to realize the pain that people who stand on the line between good and evil have to endure. I think the biggest problem that we have in all of this is that people don't want to acknowledge that there's evil in the world. Mm -hmm. They don't want to acknowledge that humans can be bad to one another. They will sit there all day long and go, look at how bad these people are over there. And then you go, well, can we agree that there's evil in the world? And I'll go, nope. And you're like, wait a minute, what, what causes somebody to do that? Mm -hmm. And if somebody has to see people do that day in and day out and day in and day out over and over and over again, do you expect them to be normal? Because what I can guarantee you is when those police officers come home, when those you know, operators come home, when the people that have had to be trigger pullers and are in constant contact, when they come home, they hug their family tighter than anybody ever could. Okay, they may not be able to talk about it. They may not be able to feel everybody's feelings. They may have a short fuse. Why? Because they just spent, you know, hours on end just trying to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Everybody else's issues are, oh crap, they're out of my favorite peanut butter. And they'll look at you like, did you get some peanut butter? <laughs> well, yeah, but I wasn't able, did you get some peanut? Thank, great, yeah. You know, when they're sitting there going and somebody's like, yeah, they didn't have my favorite Jello, you know, and they're like, well, I'm really sorry. Or they come home and they look at that bowl of red Jello and they're like, huh, what I want to tell you right now mm -hmm. is what blood looks like when it congeals. Because mm -hmm. that's what I was in all day today. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you that. So I'll just go, thanks. Mm -hmm. Because people that are willing to stand on the line between good and evil do so that no, because no, they don't want anybody else to see it. And I remember, like, after the first deployment, second deployment, I don't know, my dad and I were talking, and I realized what it was that he never wanted me to see. And I, I got it. And, and we kind of had this, this moment where we kind of realized, you know, things have changed, the innocence is gone. But in reality, the innocence was a falsehood anyway. It's a falsehood. For the therapists that are, that are doing wonderful, wonderful work, with victims of, you know, sex trafficking or sexual assault. They've known this forever. They've known evil exists forever. And 
You can't expect people that have to deal with the evil in the world to just come back and be normal. They're not going to, but they're the most real, honest people you'll ever meet. Well, and I would, you know, it's a whole other topic on what is normal, actually, mm. you know, and maybe there is no normal. We are just who we are, and yeah. our experiences do impact us. Sorry if that went on too long. No, I love it, because I, I think people need to hear that, I and mean, I think there's a lot of serving spouses out there that may not be able to articulate that yeah. and say all of that because they are protecting their family and they mm -hmm. are protecting their marriage from um, <clears throat> from a lot of those details. Yeah. And, and what I want couples to really consider as they're listening to you talk, listening to us talk, is that... Um, you know, you say they, they come back and they're they're not going to be normal from making those choices, from being involved in those things and being exposed to that mm -hmm. kind of evil in the world. And and from my perspective, that's a strength. Yeah. That is, in and in marriage, we get to a place where we're like, yeah, but I don't like it. And that's what a lot of the book, you know, our book was on, mm -hmm. was, you know, we got to this place where life and the service lifestyle was affecting us and changing certain aspects of us. And we had to adjust and embrace it. Yeah. And it's okay to go, I don't like the changes, yeah. but I have to embrace them. Oh. And a key a key to it in marriage, I think, is embracing it and starting to see it as a strength, yeah. not as being victimized by the service lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So even though um, it's hard to see your spouse go through those mm -hmm. changes and see those things and be impacted by that mm -hmm. and maybe push that empathy or those feelings down, I tell a lot of spouses, supporting spouses, um, exactly what you said, that feelings in those situations get people killed. Yeah. I can't do a mission and right. be thinking about what my battle buddy's feeling, what I think about it, what I'm feeling about it, whether or not we agree with it, whatever. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what, those are things to process later. It's not the time to commit. But it's not. And so why would we expect them to come home and just easily switch into this place of, it's not that people don't care about how their kids feel or their wife feels or whatever. Everybody has the ability to be compassionate and mm -hmm. care. But the question is whether or not feelings are valued as an important um, thing to consider in making decisions. Yeah. Well, everybody cares. Yeah. Everybody has compassion, but different people value feelings yeah. in the process more than others well i think for it becomes it becomes people the difference between people that have an opinion about something people that feel away about something and people that are willing to act on that feeling that are willing to you know i could sit there and go is that right or wrong and somebody can go that's wrong and i go well what are you going to do about it and they're like well i don't have I, I got the thing with the thing and i got don't have the time you're talking to a group of doers that are like well that's wrong and i'm going to saddle up with the courage to go confront the person that's doing wrong and say, stop doing wrong, with the hopes that they're not willing to take my life in order to keep doing wrong. That base, that's all it boils down to. So I'm really going to complicate this podcast because uh, I'm going to take this into a place where you're going to have to give an Avengers Endgame spoiler alert at the beginning. So um, uh, am I allowed to do that? I think sure. by the, I think by this time you should have seen Avengers Endgame. <laughs> I told somebody yesterday if you haven't seen it already, then you're not a true fan anyway. Yeah, you're not a true fan. <laughs> um, so it won't be like a full spoiler. So I think about this. Okay, so you got you have Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. As Tony takes on this burden of wanting to protect things, which is what he does. That's his arc. It starts with Iron Man one and goes throughout the entire thing. His arc is, I want to protect the world especially from the bad that I've done. 
Okay, and that's a great redemption story throughout the whole process is just what happens with Tony. But you see Pepper trying to constantly pull him back. You know, this is taking too much of a toll on you. It's taking too much of a toll on you. She's constantly saying, no, no, Tony. I, I, she's, she's vying for that. Okay, because she loves him. She loves that tender little joking side that you, you occasionally see. But then something goes wrong and he's like, he has to stand up for it. He has to intervene, right? And, um, you know, it, I think the thing that, uh, that Tony and... I'm, I'm kind of going into comic book nerddom, if that's all right. That's great. I'm okay. sure listeners are used to that from us. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a part where Tony looks at, at Steve Rogers, looks at Captain America, and, 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 and Cap goes, you know, I, Tony, I just wish that I could look the other way when something goes wrong. And, and Tony looks at him, he goes, no, you don't. And Steve goes, you're right, I don't. But I also think there's an aspect of Tony that couldn't look the other way either, mm -hmm. that constantly did, which is why he was the one at the very end that took upon the the sacrifice of the final snap and and everything that was going on everything that he gave up he knowingly and willingly gave up in that moment and he had been through the process of giving that up through all the movies and he was ready to do it and you saw the wrestling the honest wrestling that his wife was doing and in the perfect little ending as he's passing away her going we're fine we're fine everything's great everything's great she's honoring his sacrifice in that moment, not saying he's being selfish, not wishing he was different. And it was beautiful mm -hmm. because it was exactly what he needed because he put the collective above his own. And that's the honor with which like law enforcement and military operate. It's, it's, it's everybody else except me. If everybody else makes it except me, that's a-okay. That's the job. And they enjoy that. There's something about them that feels honorable. And in a world that has no honor right now, that's like the only thing. Like there's no other honor. I mean, it's honorable to say, I will. I have. I recognize I have one life. I'm willing for it to stop early, so everybody else can keep on going. And I don't think enough people sit and think about that. Are you willing? To, is somebody willing to say, I'll hit the stop button right now, if it means everybody else can keep going? And then there's also this struggle, that at the very end where Cap. He's sitting, you got old man Cap, and he's sitting on the bench. And Falcon comes up to him. And Cap had gone back in time and decided he was going to go back. He had done everything. He had served. He had done everything. And Falcon said, where have you been? And he says, I thought I'd, get, I thought I'd go live some of that life that Tony kept telling me all about. The problem for law enforcement and for military is you realize there's no rewind. Mm -hmm. All that life that Tony kept talking about, we don't get. We don't. You don't get those years back. You don't get those days back. You don't get those restless nights back. You don't get that anxiety back. You don't get this amazing golden do-over, you know? We live in a world where people are sitting there going, you know, fear of missing out and YOLO, you only live once. <laughs> and people are using that to go just be selfish and take care of only themselves for years on end. Just me, just me, just me. And you have this cohort of people that is willing to sacrifice everything, to set aside everything, their own life included. And why would we expect them to be like anybody else? And here's the thing. Is there anything more empathic than somebody that's willing to say, I'll hit the stop button right now if it means you get to keep going. 
you know, what I think is part of the difficulty and how that affects a marriage yeah. is, you know, when I listen to you and I think of a lot of other spouses that are listening to you as well, that, that I hear you and I go, man, that's why I love you so much. Oh, thank you. I thought it was a nice hair. <laughs> but I think other spouses feel that way about their serving spouse. Yeah. Like they get that. Yeah. They, they are proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why they get angry when the world mistreats them. Yeah. Right. We're fiercely going to defend yeah. our serving spouse because we know mm-hmm. that's where you're coming from. Yeah. But there's something about trying to wrestle out the dynamics in the home, trying to parent together, trying to do finances together, trying to talk together, trying to connect with each other. Yeah. You love that about each other, you know, like probably just as much as you love the fact that I support your willingness to mm-hmm. go and do that and be that person. Yeah. Um, it's great that those strengths help you do that job. So here's an example. Um, I've had several spouses who are married to, let's say, a sniper. Let's just use that as an example. Right. I've worked with many people who have who have been married to snipers. Um, and that's in a more extreme situation here, but we're just going to oh. use that as an example. They're married to snipers, and snipers need to be able to think that way to do their job. Yeah. And then they come home, and they're trying to connect as a couple and have the intimacy as a couple. Mm-hmm. And I hear the supporting spouse say, um, but he just seems kind of cold and um, and his way of handling the kids or his way of handling um, his, his parents, his mom, yeah. right, comes across as very cold. And so one of the things that I said to them, and I'd love to know what you think about this, yeah. is, but one of the things that I said to them was, well, here's the thing, in order for them to do that job, right. you have to suppress and push down your feelings and opinions and thoughts about yeah. what it means to kill another person in order, right. to, in order to secure for that mission to succeed. Mm-hmm. So for them to come back home and then suddenly open up all of their feelings about how everybody feels about things and and their opinions about things and being conscious of like my mom's thoughts on that before I say this or that. Mm-hmm. Like that's opening up something that they have had to strategically shut down. Well, and that's cl- like opening a can of worms. Classically I think. in combat, the dehumanization of your enemy is one of the factors that you know keeps you gritty and there mentally. Um, so really what you've got to do is you, that person that's on the other side of the scope, that person that you're targeting, um, can't have a story. Or if it has a story, needs to have a bad story that justifies whatever you're about to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the less story, the better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a dad that's at the end of their rope and is, you know, holding up hostages because... You know, you watch you know movies like John Q. Public, and you're like, that's oh, you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Should we shoot this guy that's got everybody that's hostages in the hospital? I mean, look at this great story. He's just trying to be a great dad. And you're like, how often does that happen? And is anybody there that's trying to secure the rest of the people that have just as valid of a story? Uh, does it complicate their life to go into the depth of that story? So there is a partition that you're able to put up in your mind and your heart to be able to dehumanize it. That's no longer a person. That's a target. And these are the real reasons why I'm doing this. Um, if you have to sit there and, and dwell on it, you you need to give yourself a reason to be able to do what luckily as humanity we're trained not to do, which is to take life. You've got to untrain yourself in that process. Um, and then once you untrain that, you've got to get used to that untraining being there. 
Um, so it does take uh, it does take a moment to quiet down the warrior. You were saying something about what you talked about yesterday about the the power that a spouse has to subdue a warrior. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to Avengers Endgame, um, what was it that that Cap wanted more than anything? He just wanted a dance. That was it. Like could have ended on anything. Could have ended on their marriage. Could have ended on anything. The one thing that that he was looking forward to was just that dance, and it was the closeness of the other person. I would contend that when people come home, a few things that they want to be able to know about themselves is, I, I, am I still a good person? You know, like Saving Private Ryan. Am I? Tell me I'm a good man. Who did he ask? He asked his wife. Mm-hmm. Tell me that all this was worth it. You know, tell me. He didn't say... You know, that was the question is, tell me I'm a good man. And I think that's the question that all of these, um, you know, high intensity operators and law enforcement in the military have is, you know, tell me I'm still a good person. Tell me there's still something good in there. Um, and And it's a vulnerable place. And we're trained to not have any vulnerabilities. We're trained to think through all the vulnerabilities because vulnerabilities get people killed. So the word automatically gets implied to where we're at emotionally, you know? So I I don't know exactly um, what advice to give, but that's just kind of, it's like when we are in the operating room, when you go into an operating room, they cover somebody up from head to toe with blue, except for the area that is being operated on. You'll be fine doing a, a thoracic surgery all day long as long as you're just operating on the intestines. When that blue sheet comes off and there's a human body and you're, I mean, still the same things that are going on and you're looking and you're like, oh crap. That's a person. Like this is a person. And this person like lives or dies by what we do right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And I can see their face. Mm-hmm. I can see their pulse. Holy crap, this is a whole human life. This is no longer just a leg that I'm trying to fix. You know, if I get that leg right, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor shows back up and is like, hey, person, hey, now I can acknowledge you're a person. You're no longer a leg that was broken and I just had to fix that leg. Mm-hmm. So it's this compartmentalization. And the difficult part is, is, how do you stop compartmentalizing all your life? Um, and you just have to be aware of, yeah, I think you have to be honest with what you, you know, the darkness within your own heart, with what you feel like is, uh, you know, you're, you're capable of. Um, you know, this may be a, a side note. Yesterday, Aiden was asking me about, um, our son was asking uh, about, capital punishment and you know did I think it was barbaric to move back to the electric chair and to firing squads I said I don't know Aiden what do you think should be done if somebody abducted your mom and you know tortured her and they cut her up into little pieces and that sounds rough but I grew up hearing that (laughs) and Aiden goes oh I'd I'd shoot him myself and I said yeah I said it really depends uh, on where a person's at and I said in all honesty if somebody's willing to do that to another human is there any saving them? And once you've seen that, what do you believe about humans? And how do you feel about that? How do you bring that home? You know, I was a kid growing up in that. How do you bring that home? Mm-hmm. You know, and w- what's supposed to be done with that? But that's just the way life is. There's no like, 
set answer for, for any of this. You just got to keep wrestling through it. But I think if we get real and honest with every day that we wrestle with it, that it's not necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I've been, I don't know if it's just been a theme, you know, in the last month or two of people that I've been talking with and, and working with, but I keep coming back to sometimes it's hard to know how to handle things and how to wrestle through it. But if I can, if I can look at what the extremes are and stay away from those extremes and right. somewhere in the middle where it's messy is somewhere closer to right. Right. And so I think about, you know, from a strengths perspective in your marriage to be able to go, okay, we are a service family. Yeah. We, um, I am married to a service member mm. who has, you know, such and such job. And knowing that we're going to have a certain set of challenges and we're going to bring stuff home. Um, and, and I, as a wife and a mom and as a clinician, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring stuff into the marriage and the home too. And so the extremes are, okay, you're not, and one extreme would be you're wrong, right? right. Everything you're doing is wrong yeah. and you should do it my way. The other extreme is I'm completely wrong and you're completely right. And if I can stay away from those extremes and come to the middle and go, you know, neither one of us is necessarily fully wrong. Neither one of us is necessarily fully right. Mm-hmm. And how do we work together on this and be mindful of each other and graceful with where each other is at and have those better conversations to go, um, I'm going to choose to believe that my spouse is doing the best that they can do, mm-hmm. bringing the best version of themselves to the table and be graceful with that. Mm-hmm. So that if you are compartmentalizing and bringing things home, or maybe you are coming across a little colder than I would like for you to, to come across, mm-hmm. that I can bring that to your attention and kindness and yeah. go, hey, um, what if we handled this a little bit this way? Or you lean on me for this and then I'll lean on you for that. Yeah. And one of the things it, you know, depending on the age of the kids, um, if we're talking about parenting, be open and honest with what's going on. I mean, for crying out loud, there's so much that kids are learning that parents aren't in charge of. Mm-hmm. My best education came from my parents. Growing up, my best education about the world, the state of the world, and the need for people that are good people in the world came from my parents. And that changed everything, you know, so... You know, they, they get tired of us moving around, so I blame you. Um, no. Um, it, uh, it, helped me, uh, it helped me drastically. So what's wrong with saying, hey, you know, mom or dad, you know, had a rough day at work. And um, you don't have to go into gory detail, but why, why can't you say, hey, you know, dad had to rescue a couple of people out of a vehicle today and, uh, and they didn't make it. And it was a really bad car accident. And so dad is is really trying to process that mm-hmm. because he loves people and he wants to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. And today he wasn't able to, or he got there too late, or somebody else did something disastrous, X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids get that. Kids are compassionate and they'll understand that. You know, if, you know... Um, I think I do remember a couple of times mom kind of prepping us before dad came home. Hey, your dad had a rough day at work. You know, here's what you need to know. And it gave us a whole nother heart. And there's it, when uh, for a service member or a law enforcement, I say law enforcement, fire department, anybody, you know, a, a medic, anybody that's in that first responder group where like bad stuff happens and you got to be on the scene and you got to try and fix it. And sometimes you're not going to be able to fix it. Or you have to respond to trauma, to emergency, that sort of thing. 
It's always nice to go home and for there to be a little bit of innocence. Mm-hmm. Because you got to have that reminder. You got to have a reminder that everything's not bad. Mm-hmm. You got to have a reminder that there is something that you can control. Okay? And kids may be going crazy. Kids may be doing whatever. And those those kind of, you know, you might need a little bit of space. One thing that helps me and I would contend uh, I'm probably in the majority is you know, your hugs, your physical presence stops the um, chaos. The chaos. It's that thing. It's got horses on it. Makes weird sounds. It's in the a fair. Merry-go-round. Merry-go-round. There you go. Carousel. 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 Yeah. yeah. Stops this carousel. The, well, carousel and a merry-go-round are the same are they thing. The same? Okay. same thing. Um, it stops this crazy merry-go-round and just reminds me, okay, I'm home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm home. I'm safe. I don't have to answer to anybody right now. And I've got to de-escalate. Because going way back to what we originally talked about, the person that, that chooses the first responder or military life, they choose it because there's something in their brain that's rewired to go, you know what? I'm naturally hypervigilant. I better make this work for me mm-hmm. because I can't sit in a place where the copier dings all the time. And I'm like, is the copier wrong? What's wrong with the copier? Is something wrong with the copier? You know, I'll People go that crazy. want to do something about it. I want to do something about it. If I'm over in the sandbox and I'm hypervigilant, I'm keeping people safe. I'm keeping people alive. And therefore, my what is dysfunctional here works for me over there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and we've, we've talked a lot about the service member. And um, I feel like I need to give a caveat that... Um, too often we go, well, what's going on with that service member that we need to know and adjust around and um, that he needs to manage, right. right? But coming from the other extreme, for us as supporting spouses, um, you know, it's easy to think that your own way of seeing things is, is the best and right way and best perspective. Mm-hmm. And so... A lot of us supporting spouses, if you are kind of that feelings-oriented, very empathic person, we're built to be that too. Mm-hmm. We are built to be that, um, to be nurturing. I'm going to be specifically talk for women here. We're naturally, just like you were saying, men are naturally built to be protectors, mm-hmm. um, to to be the person that goes into battle if that's what they need to do. The yeah. hunters, you know. And I think women are naturally built to be nurturers and empaths and be thinking about people's feelings and community village oriented and, mm-hmm. and things are connected. You know, we've, we've talked in marriage retreats about how men typically think in train cars, you know, in order yeah. and women, it's more like a beach ball. It's a sphere where all mm-hmm. things are connected. And so, or spider web even. So like or spaghetti if, or spaghetti. Yeah. So like if something, one, if one piece of the system is affected, it impacts the rest of the system right. and it's, one is not better than the other no. one it's not more right than the other but i think for some of the supporting spouses that are those empaths that have that nurturing capacity um just because we feel that way doesn't mean it's the right way to handle every situation and um i think we have to gain control of that too sometimes it is the right call in parenting to have our spouse who might be more logical, say, hey, pull back. We can't make this entire decision on this parenting situation based off of how the kids feel about it. Mm -hmm. Because for example, 
you know, our kids are older now, but when they were younger, it's like, oh, they want to, you know, they want that glass of water and it's bedtime and, oh, they keep getting up because they need something. And I feel like I have to keep responding to that. And, you know, whereas the husband coming in and going, no, they just need to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to worry about how they feel about it. They just need to go to bed, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so us having control over those emotions is just as important to not make every decision based off of how somebody feels about it. Mm-hmm. And that, that can bring order to our chaos, too. Yeah. That emotionally, I think I hear a lot of spouses say that that is exhausting for mm-hmm. them to be constantly thinking about how everybody feels about mm-hmm. it. And it's unfair to come into a marriage and say, well, I need you to care about everybody else's feelings and make decisions with me based off of how everybody feels. Sometimes it's the right answer and brings great order to the emotional chaos for your spouse to come in and go, hey, let's actually bring that down a few notches and think about this strategically and logically. That's yeah. the strength of a couple coming together. And I'll, concurrently, <clears throat> I love that word, concurrently, concurrently the serving member who may, let's just say, stereotypically normally thinks more logically and less empathically or less emotionally, um, and he's very solution-focused and solution-oriented. I mean, if you think about it, they have gotten involved in a job where the only time they're active is when something bad happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. That's why you see these beautiful, you know, videos of cops that are like stopping and playing the drums or playing basketball or something. They're having the time of their life because they're like, hey, I can do something that is, you know, something bad didn't happen. I mean, the only time we're involved is when something bad is about to happen or just did happen. Um, and so they're constantly being asked to make a, make a quick decision and then act it and then uh, act on that decision. So when... Like for instance, when I come home and you've got a lot of stuff going on, I am not in the mode of the empathic husband who's going, oh, well, how did you feel about that? And I've learned how to do that with skill and practice, but not naturally. I'm not sitting there going, wow, that just must really, really feel disempowering to you. And that really feels like, you know, people aren't paying attention to you. And I bet that, I bet that reminds you of like, you know, the time when you were in school and you were raising your hand and no one would call on you. <laughs> That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, so they're not answering the email? Well, where do they live? I'll go over there and make sure they answer the email. That's what every that's what they do all day long. They're like, problem, solution. Solution done, problem over. I can go on thinking about the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not cold or calloused. It's just what they're trained to do. It's what you expect. I mean... You know, for instance, if you go to a grocery store line and you have a cashier that is ridiculously slow scanning that cart full of groceries, but is chatty, chatty, chat, chat box. <laughs> In that moment, are you sitting there and go, I'm just so grateful that this person is... Wait, or on. that I shouldn't say something yeah. because it might hurt her feelings. I, or right? well, her, him, whatever, <laughs> where they're just like, beautiful day and just a happy day. <laughs> For anybody out there that's a grocery store cashier, please continue to be nice. I, <laughs> but if, they're, if, they, if they suck at their job, mm-hmm. but they are doing something else, you're like, okay, now, now here's your job. I need you to do your job. And I need you to be trained well enough to do your job that you do it well. Mm-hmm. We want that for our cashier. 
we should expect that for our first responders and law enforcement and, and military mm-hmm. and be graceful when they, you know, can't turn it off. But for the serving spouse, they need to recognize when it's still going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to stop themselves. You know, it, it'd be like the cashier that's watching Price is Right and is guessing all the numbers. And you're like, you're ruining this for the rest of us. Okay? <laughs> we want to guess number. We want to guess prices too. You've got to be able to turn it off. You've got to be able to look at your spouse and go, look at them and laugh and go, I'm not going to solve your problem. That's on you. Oh, listen, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I literally can't. I am at max capacity for solving problems. Mm-hmm. And also not compare, not walk home and go, you know what? The fact that, you know, Tina didn't call you back, that really sucks. But guess how many body parts I scraped off the road today? You can't, you can't trump other people's experiences because that's a, that's a, that's, that's a sacred space. That's a meaningful thing to them. You've got to, you've got to go, personally, I accepted this in my life, but that doesn't give me the right to just impose it on everybody else, Mm -hmm. to just trump everybody else to just say, and I'm not using that in the sense of President Trump. I'm using that as if we were playing spades and I was throwing the highest spade and that's known as the Trump card. That's all I'm using. I just have to make that caveat. (laughs) But you can't just beat out somebody else's thing every time you can. Nobody likes that person anyway. Oh, and by the way, you're just, all you're doing is just keeping people at arm's length distance and you're just making yourself more and more isolated from feeling like a human. And I can tell you the only thing that's ever going to heal you through those traumatic events is to have a good breakdown, to cry. I go back to what I saw my dad doing. My dad wasn't just walking around going, I just get tired of seeing dead babies. No, he just wouldn't. You know, I've seen my dad be frustrated a lot. But in that moment, I saw a human man who was devastated by what humans can do to one another. And that was the most impactful thing, was to see somebody that allowed themselves to feel. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I was like, man, I get it. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. That when, when the serving member allows themselves to feel the weight of those emotions and opens up There's so that the people, cl- people close can see the weight of those emotions, they're carrying so much. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to carry it alone. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people, and I'm not just talking about chaplains and therapists, at some point, you have to go, okay, if I believe in a God, did God give this person, put this person in my life to help me bear my burdens? And the other person have to go, did God put me in this person's life so that I can bear their burdens? Mm-hmm. You know, why Why did God make me so empathic with a non-empathic person? I don't know. Maybe so you could understand what they're going through, have some sympathy and reach out. Maybe it's not about making them like you. Maybe it's about using the best of what you have in their life to help them heal and to, to let them unpack what they're going. Maybe you have to train them on how to feel their emotions and how to unpack them because they haven't been trained. And that goes back to the warrior spouse having the power to subdue and bring peace to and mm-hmm. to influence a warrior mm-hmm. without trying to change the warrior. So it's, yeah. it's this middle ground that's messy, right? Yeah. Like you have trained so many good things in my life. And mm-hmm. I think that there's some things that I have. How I don't to shut use... cabinets. Yeah. How, to, <laughs> how to close the tops on dressing bottles. 
<laughs> so wonderful. You you have you have influenced me a lot, and and there's a lot of things that you have changed and grown in over the years too. Don't put the glasses on the dog. That's so sad. He Don't do that to him. But he looks smart. I'm trying to be nice to you. Right I now. know. I'm okay, not. Okay, listen, with, listen, yes. focus, focus. Serious moments. Serious moments. And there's a lot of things that you have changed and grown in that are in your capacity to grow in. Yeah. And I, I think this middle ground that's messy, it's messy. It's like um, we can ask our spouse to make adjustments. We're not saying that we should just have a complete pass to do whatever we want and, and act however we want on either side just because we're made that way or just because we have that job or whatever. It's a messier place to be in a spot where we go, I can embrace the fact that this is who you are. I can embrace the fact this is what life has um, shaped in you. Mm-hmm. Um, I can ask for certain things that um, I can ask for growth in certain areas mm-hmm. without asking you to be me. Right. And that we can do that together and yeah. take turns on things or work together on things or bring our best versions to the table and, you know, kind of like a menu sometimes mm-hmm. to go, you bring this side. You know, when we go tackle this topic with our son, you bring this side, I'll bring this side. Right. And, and we'll do it together. Mm-hmm. And I am just, I'm so thankful for who you are. And I'm thankful for um, the experiences that you've had. I'm thankful to your dad for mm-hmm. how he's handled um, his service experience and um, how he has not only had to make some really tough decisions and mm-hmm. done some really tough things, um, but how he's embraced his own emotions over oh, yeah. time. Yeah. And and maybe that's part of this lesson too, is that time has a has a way time of has a time has a unfolding huge, things. Yeah, and you get to a point where, you know, I you ever heard the phrase, you know, full of piss and vinegar? No. Okay. Well Is that well, a southern thing? I don't know if it's southern. <laughs> but uh people that have heard that before, I mean I bet, I bet Texans will understand it too. I mean Young men can be just full of piss and vinegar where they just want to fight everything. They want to fight everybody. And it actually makes them really good at the job because they're ready for a fight at any point in time. And they don't even know why they are. It's just something's in their body, probably too much testosterone, you name it. You know, and they gravitate towards things. But as you get older, you know, you kind of realize you're like, yeah, yeah, I got into that fight once. And well, I may have won or may have walked out and it was a tie, but oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm a little bit wiser. I'm a little bit older. Um, what is it? Uh, it's a phrase of too, uh, too late wise, something like that. You know, if I'd, if I'd have known then what I know now, I wouldn't have done it. But you don't know it until you go through it and you make those mistakes. And the best we can do is really begin a mentoring process with these young first responders and military that are full of piss and vinegar. That you gotta go, hey, you know, I, I know you want to get after it. I appreciate that, but you gotta understand. Here's the long-term things that you need to be taken into account, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, of what you can and can't do. And um, uh, so, yeah, I do think there's an a. I know there's an age factor, and the hard part is, is there's this time period where you're like, crap, like I'm getting old. And I'm now learning stuff that I wish I'd have known and not wasted time on arguments, isolation, chasing after things that didn't matter, mm-hmm. chasing after things that weren't lasting. And some people don't ever figure that out. Some people don't ever really understand what really honestly matters and what they need in life and, and what loves them back. And so the hard part is that balancing act 
Um, and I contend that people, this is just me, I contend that people that are more rooted in the eternal uh, truth of God, uh, they get to that realization a lot sooner because they accept their own mortality and their own limitations a whole lot faster than people that think that they are um, God themselves. And because uh, as soon as you realize that, and everybody realizes it one way or another, um, as soon as you realize that, you have to take an immediate, you have to close shop and take an immediate inventory of what what you're doing in life, why you've been doing it, and whether or not you've done it for the right reasons. So, my encouragement is if you haven't taken that inventory for real, you need to um, you need to take that inventory. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. It's it's not very often that we have a slow paced morning, or maybe we're just taking a long time go. to wake up. I gotta go. <laughs> um, but I always like having these chats with you. This is sometimes a, a typical Saturday morning for us. Coffee Co- and coffee, coffee talk and with cool. Linda Richmond. <laughs> it's true. I'm not trying to copy that right. Please, Mike Myers, don't sue me. I was always a fan I don't think of I'm on that level, anyways. I was always no. a fan of Linda Richmond. I don't think You're, he's listening to this podcast. Yeah. Well, if he does, I got to tell you, Linda Richmond changed my life. Changed my life. <laughs> thank you for sitting down with me, and thank you for um, being a good man, and yeah. thank you for being a good man to our boys, and for. Um, allowing me, it's not, well, it is kind of allowing me for seeing this as a team effort. Have a good day today. You have a good day. And you out there in Radio Land, have a great day too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or LifeGiver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.